Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to Locked On Kentucky, your daily. Well, <laughs> not so fast. Uh, you're uh, you're pretty much daily Kentucky podcast, uh, where you know if it's a big deal to the Big Blue Nation, it's a big deal to us. Um, you know, I guess right up top, we should be. If you followed along on social media, you kind of have a little bit of a loose idea. Uh, of what's been going on. By the way, my name's Kyle Mann. I'm, I'm a video producer at The Ringer, and I'm joined per usual by Kyle Tucker of The Athletic. Yep, yep. Good old Kyle Tucker. Um, you know, like I said a, a little bit ago, I let you guys know that uh, I've, I've started a new job and I'm not going to be able to do the podcast anymore. Uh, and that transition is upon us. Um, it, we, we, me specifically, I, I think I could speak for Kyle in this way. I mean, we we appreciate all the notes, and uh, you know, when people are hitting you, if people don't say jack shit to you ever, I guess that's a little bit more. I, th- I think being ignored <laughs> is the worst fate you can have in this digital yes. age, or just any time. And, and we appreciate that you all uh, were wondering what we we're up to um, because uh, we like to hear from you, and <clears throat> so many people out there. I think just kind of listen and never say anything, you know, right. and, then, and then when it's not there, they're like, hey, buddy. Yeah, hey, I listen every day. Where is it? Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Which so is we nice basically, yeah, we've been, we've been in sort of in the transition uh, starting on Monday of next week. Uh, I'll have a new host, uh, Dan Reefer, somebody that a lot of people know um, in the Lexington market. So another uh, familiar voice. Uh, and name, and so I'm excited about that. Dan's great, and uh, he's been a good friend of mine for a long time. So it'll be good. But uh, I'm sad, man. This is a this is a bummer that uh, that that our little very relatively short run <laughs> has come to an end. Yeah, yeah. it's been well, it has been a lot of fun, I th- and I do think people have really enjoyed it and sort of the back and forth. Um, but uh, but we had one last hurrah. We were in New York together. Well, I was going to say this a quick sidebar, and this is going to be on on brand for us. Scal might be dead. He just collided with Kawhi at like full speed and went up in the air and came down like a like a. <laughs> that's lot. not that's not alarming at all. <laughs> no, I mean he just looked like I would never want to collide with Kawhi because no. he's just solid, just a piece of. He's like an iron slab and a piano. Like you never want to hit. Anyway, yeah, we were. Yeah, go ahead. We were up in New York. Uh, sorry. <laughs> we were, yeah, yeah. That was some not that was poor load management by uh, Scal running into uh, running mm-hmm. into Kawhi Leonard. But nice uh, one there. Good job, buddy. Thank you. Happy about that. Um, yeah, we were in New York. We uh, went to the Champions Classic, both of us. Um, and I think you know the big headline: Kentucky wins. They beat the number one team in the country. Uh, at least according to pundits, maybe a little overrated, and and we're yeah, not. We'll get we'll get to that. Yeah. We'll get to that. Yeah, we'll yeah, we're to. not being wet blankets here, but I, this is something we said to each other um, going into it that maybe Kentucky and Michigan State were both overrated just a little bit to start the year. Sure. Um, but it's but it is a big deal to go to that event on that stage with a lot of young guys, and when you end up leaning primarily on one freshman uh, and to win in the Garden it was a big deal, and you know. Kentucky came out of that as the story of the event. You had the number one, two, three, and four teams in the country there, um, and Kentucky comes out as sort of the story. They come out also; they're going to be. They are now going to be the number one team for probably the next two months at least because they don't have any more games like this. Uh, assuming they keep winning. Um, well, yeah, I mean, I they guess are, they have nobody that's going to beat them unless they just don't, you know, 
half the team goes down with malaria. Um, <laughs> malaria, yeah. yeah. The schedule's very bad. I mean, there's there's not anybody on the schedule until they get to the, I think, Vegas. Um, they got Eastern Kentucky, Evansville, uh, Ver- is it Vermont? I don't know, UVU. I'm looking at an abbreviated Mount St. Mary's. Uh, I don't even know what LAM is. UAB, uh, Fairleigh Dickinson, then Georgia Tech, Utah, and Ohio State. I mean, they're going to get till yeah, you know, mid December before they have a team that even uh, has a chance of beating them again. So, uh, yeah, I mean, Georgia Tech. I, I don't know a ton about their roster to be honest. I mean, they might be scrappy. Utah could be scrappy. You never know. Yeah, Ohio State. Ohio State's is, probably the next big challenge. They're, they're good. Like, and we've talked about Louisville. I think could be very good this year. Um, I was just kind of checking in on them. Uh, Samuel Williamson, I spent some time watching him. He looked great. Uh, and yeah, I mean, there, there's some tests, but they're, they're not for a while. Like, yeah, it's probably another, it's another month and a half before the real, the real games get going. I was going to say just kind of, uh, it was, it was, I need to call you out here because you, you have called me, you have drugged my name through the mud saying <laughs> that I'm a snooty diva and that I'm uppity and all this stuff. And it's like, folks, I just want to let you know that this guy seriously combed, he not, he, he ironed a pocket square for like 20 minutes. He, it wasn't he 20 was, minutes. It doesn't he, take 20 minutes to iron a pocket square, and he but was, I did and, iron a pocket square. And he was just like, Edna had a, I had, made a video and it's reference. It, this, this like derby going mint julep dude here <laughs> is just talking all kinds of trash. And I should just let you know that, uh, yeah, he's, he's, he's a hypocrite in that sense. But, uh, yeah. Uh, do you think? How do you think the the environment in Madison Square Garden compares to other environments? Like, do you think it's the most fun place um, for Kentucky to go for neutral, or what? What do you think? Ah, uh, hmm, that's a good question. I love Indy, and you know, I think in terms of Kentucky having sort of the crowd, Indy is is the the spot because so many people can get there. Um, it, Kentucky had a little bit of a subdued crowd for this event and not necessarily the biggest crowd. I mean, Kansas, yeah. Kansas brought a lot of people to, to New York. Dude, uh, I kept hearing people say that they thought the crowd was rowdy and I was like, I don't know. I, I There was a huge contingency of uh, Michigan State fans across the arena from me in like the mirrored section and Man, they were super loud, I thought. And then also like Duke and Kansas, I thought they were really rowdy throughout. I yeah. didn't I didn't feel like Kentucky fans were all that riled up. Did you? I mean, Yeah, no, I didn't I didn't think it was a, was a huge showing by them, no. And it was kind of weird because they they really did can control the game from the start. Uh, yeah. you know, it was close varying degrees of close, you know, but Kentucky at one point had what a 13-point lead in the uh, second half and uh, I mean it was I think Michigan State led for like 35 seconds total in the game yeah um, and so for them to play that well was a little surprising that it wasn't rowdier in there but um, yeah I, I think Indy's probably the best for that I tell you a great environment though for one of these type of events was the and part partly was the product of the of the game but the uh Kentucky North Carolina game in Vegas where Malik Monk went nuclear 
Yeah, um, yeah. It was great. It was. I mean, that place was well. A lot of lot of offense in that game. You remember North Carolina played really well. Was it too. Justin Jackson or one he of the had, one had of those guys? Thirty nine. Yeah, it was. There was a counterpart in that game for for Monk, and then Monk scored forty, whatever forty seven, and hit the the three to to ice it at the end. It was a great game. It was like one hundred and three to a hundred or whatever. It yeah, was yeah. An outrageous uh, game, but it kept looking like Kentucky was going to find a way to lose, and then Monk just kept hitting shots. I don't know. Um, yeah, I, I would say I, I really like Banker's Life a lot. I just think that that is that it's it's just a well. I don't know. The sight lines in there are really good. It doesn't mm-hmm. feel too big, but it's also, you know, it's a good size and it's just a great place to see a basketball game. I, I've sat all over that arena and, and uh, NBA in college, but uh, yeah, I, I really, I really uh, dig it quite a bit. I think every, um, I think every major sporting event should be in, in Indianapolis. I think it's a perfect town for, you know, you could you could put the final four there every year and I'd be happy. Uh, it's everything's really accessible. It's a good town to, to walk around in. They have the you can stay in a bunch of different hotels there that are all connected by this uh, the, like w- in, indoor walkway and you can you know walk like a mile without ever walking outside and get around in the if it's cold outside or bad weather and get mm-hmm. over get over to the uh, stadium and the arena. It's uh, it's nice. Every time I go there, I feel like there's like act of God weather. I have terrible luck in Indianapolis. Like yeah. I got, I got, I got snowed in one time going up there. I went up to see oh, wow. Luca. Luca got kicked out of the game in like the second quarter, and then we got snowed in. It was like an unbelievable bad turn of luck. Um, let's uh, let's take this break here. Uh, I told Kyle I was like, we're just going to kind of since this is the last <laughs> the last episode, we're just going to kind of let it let it ride. Talk about you know till we're done. Which no, you know. It, Knowing Kyle, that could be <laughs> to see you in two a days. Long time, <laughs> yeah. He snores when he's asleep, and he snores when he's awake, basically. So, uh, and, t- and you know, in terms of his opinions and stuff, it's basically the equivalent of snoring. <laughs> so, we went to a nice little, a nice little restaurant, soft opening, and it was delightful. It's called the Walkers Exchange. Oh yeah, yeah but, is that the one? That's the one. Yes, that, that's the that's one. The Twitter yes. account. They had to. Have, yes, we want <laughs> to. Uh, yeah. Food was good. Had some sampled some cocktails. It was great. So you know, speaking of cocktails, if you're going to make a cocktail, if you want to drink a nice uh, craft spirit, neat, um, any way you like to drink it, I've been told they're cool with that. Uh, so Buffalo Trace Distillery is the world's most award-winning distillery, and if you come to Buffalo Trace, you're going to see 200 years of masterful bourbon-making history in action, and you're going to smell mash cooking. You're going to be able to touch the oak barrels that have been aging in century-old warehouses uh, because this is a craft industry that takes time, and they know how to do it, and they're meticulous, and they are masters at this. You're going to hear tales of bourbon legends like Taylor, Blanton, Weller, and Lee, and you're going to taste award-winning spirits at a America's oldest continually operating distillery. Boogie just came to visit me. Hello, Boogie. No bourbon for you. You're going to experience a tour for every single taste. Uh, The distillery offers six unique complimentary tours seven days a week, year-round, like the popular Trace Tour. Or see Bourbon Pompeii and walk through history on the E.H. Taylor Tour. Uh, Visit Buffalo Trace Distillery and mention that you heard about Buffalo Trace on Locked on Kentucky and you're going to get 10% off merchandise in the gift shop. And uh, yeah, buffalotracedistillery.com is the website. Check them out. So, Kyle, we got some grief 
we got we got a fair bit of grief over this uh, that we're we're negative Nancys. Now, what I thought was funny was I started thinking about it, and I was like, on what platform were we negative about Kentucky? Do you did yeah. you say something super negative because we didn't really podcast like no, right before the game? Yeah, no, we were we had our little hiatus there. I mean, I guess coming out of what was it the first exhibition, uh, yeah. we, we both were kind of like e. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And I've, you know, I would say I've probably been pretty generally negative about you know the front court um, and and expressed some concern about it because and largely focusing on EJ Montgomery. I don't feel uh, at all like I got that wrong after watching EJ Montgomery not do much of anything in this first game. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I. I I don't think we're overly negative. In fact, you know, we didn't podcast, so I guess people didn't sort of hear both of our changes of heart, but we were talking to each other kind of going into the game, and we had both kind of at one point decided Kentucky might get run, not like Duke blown out, but but soundly beaten uh, yeah. in this game. And then as it got closer, I think we both kind of talked ourselves into the other uh, outcome. And, and we both, I mean, it, I'm not yeah. making this up. We both kind of like went to each other like, I actually now I kind of think they're going to win. You know, the more you yeah. Well, no, I can. It was it was an undocumented sort of evolution that we should, if we'd been potting, people would have heard this. But sort of what happened was Nick's not playing in the exhibition games. We see some of the warts of like, well, what was revealed, and I think is still true, is that Kentucky's thin in the front court. Like yes. if if Nick's not playing, Nick Nick is a switch that's flipped. Obviously, that's like. Okay, wow, Kentucky's got an uber athletic physical freak there on the back line that can uh, really, really cover a lot of ailments. And without him back there, you just get a little sickly feeling in your stomach. But what happened for me, and I expressed this on Twitter a little bit, is the win is great. Like, you know, yeah, you get you get a win in the Champions Classic. To get a win on that stage is always fun. It's a feel-good event. Because a lot of Kentucky fans go and travel, and you get all those blue bro- blue blood programs in one place. It's just a it's it's a good vibe event. But my takeaway from it is, you know, they got the perspective here is really important. Like they got, you know, just absolutely annihilated by Duke last year. Well, what did that ultimately mean? Kentucky and Duke finished in the exact same spot, right. barely narrowly missed the final four. And it's like it doesn't totally matter. But then also what what kind of caused me to go through the paces was okay Nick's going to be back and I started looking at the numbers and I was like okay Cash and Win- Cassius Winston and uh, Xavier Tillman pretty formidable experienced you know Final Four two players that have a, have a lot of pedigree and have had a lot of reps um, and I, I got looking at the numbers and seeing that Xavier Tillman was you know, we, we both saw this and we were talking to Brendan Quinn, your colleague at the athletic. And we were like, man, this kid's really good. Got a little worried that, that he was just going to eat Kentucky alive. So that, that was basically my worry, um, that they weren't going to be able to slow that down depending on how Nick was going to play. But then I swung the other way and started to think that I think people are overrating Michigan state because they're acting like they've just got this like People were just acting like they were returning five starters, and you know what I mean. Like, right. did you kind of get the same feeling? And yeah, I mean, the more you the more you looked at it, and it was all this kind of the vibe was that they had so much more experience than Kentucky, and and they really didn't. Um, you know, and if you did just sort of a, a very basic analysis of the rosters, 
you go, well, they lost this. Kentucky lost that, you know, but Kentucky by far added the best player of, you know, of the two schools in terms of what they brought in. Tyrese Maxey was the best player that any, either of them brought in. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably the best player that any of the four teams at the Champions Classic brought in. Um, you know, probably, yeah, you, I would you, say so. Yeah, you've got Hagens to sort of counteract uh, Winston. Um, you know, and you've brought in Nate Sestina, who wasn't on your team but is a veteran, and you know, not going to be rattled. And I just, I think the more you analyzed it, and you, and the more, and you start, you thought about the fact that they had three things, you know, three guards that they could throw at Winston. Um, even if Hagen's got in foul trouble, it started just for me. It's the closer the game got, the more I thought they will throw the kitchen sink at stopping Winston. And I don't know that, that anybody else on that roster can really beat Kentucky. Yeah, that's, Um, I mean, and that's, that's definitely something that I want to get to. Um, I just looking at Michigan state's roster. It's like, yeah, they brought back Aaron Henry. Who's a good player was one of the best isolation defenders in the country last year. Uh, But in terms of like just talent on paper, like the RSCI, the composite of recruiting rankings, they they had two guys that were top 20. Well, Cassius Winston was 29 in 2016. Uh, Josh Langford, who didn't play in this game, that's another factor here. Right. Is you know he's he's a really good player and didn't play, but they also lost Nick Ward, they lost uh, Kenny Goins, they lost McQuaid, who was a really big player for them. Um, I was just concerned that Kentucky wasn't going to be able to slow down that Winston Tillman pipeline, which sounds like an actual like industrial. <laughs> Win- Welcome the to the Winston, Winston Tillman pipeline, largest <laughs> supplier of crude oil in Texas. Yeah, yeah. doggone it. Yeah, so so yeah, I I got worried about that, but so I think that ultimately most people would agree. I think that what Kentucky did was ultimately pretty surprising. Wouldn't you say so? I mean, like I don't yeah. think that. Yeah. yeah, I mean the way they defended the pick and roll was startling you know i think it was much better than anybody thought right out of the gate and then you know cal perry talked today um and i asked him a lot about that defense and he basically said uh you know and cal's not really the kind of guy who who overreacts to stuff like this he's the one who will urge not to and i think he was trying to hold himself back but he he said look you know i've been doing this is my 11th year here and i can't think of two teams that were better this early defensively, you know, like if that's the way we're going to defend without having even really worked on it much. Cause his whole thing is we don't do a lot of defensively in the summer. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of that well, was, a lot of that was instinct, you know, Khalil Whitney played, I thought a really instinctive defensive game. Uh, he had four points and I thought was actually a huge part of the game. Um, you know, Nick Richards plays on that bad ankle and, and he's a guy I was also going to mention that, that, you know, I thought I tweeted it out today and then Cal Perry kind of backed me up in some of his comments today. The more I think about the game, I think the biggest deal that came out of it was Nick Richards because. Yeah, I said it was the best defensive game of his career. You know, I, yeah. he, he, he's, he had a badly sprained ankle. He practiced, I think, a day and a half total right before the game, missed about a week, and then comes out and has seven points, four rebounds. And that doesn't seem like a lot, but he gave him 25 minutes and defended his ass off for pretty much all 25 minutes. And at one point, well, you know, the play he made were in the pick and roll where he essentially, as a seven-footer, chases Cassius Winston all the way out of bounds um, for a turnover kind of was indicative of what he got done uh, on the defensive end. And, and 
you know, Calipari was just raving about him. He said, you know, look, he's, you know, he's gotten him, he's built his own confidence by, by working at it and getting in the best shape of his life. And, um, you know, maybe the light's starting to come on. And he said, look, if he can keep it simple and do these couple things we've, we've get, told him are critical for him, he can go be a guy who makes it in the NBA. And, you know, that remains to be seen. But I, I thought what Nick did was really encouraging both in the specifics of it and also just in a macro sense of like the kids showed some toughness to do that. And, and you had to wonder like, is, is Nick Richards tough? Uh, is he mentally tough? And I think, I've, you know, the answer after one game is, is sort of trending towards yes for him this year. Yeah. I mean, you know, maturity wise, a lot happens during this time of a person's life. I think we can attest to that. And most adults listening to that, most people listening, I assume are adults can attest to that too. So hopefully he's kind of turning a corner in that sense. But you know what, what I thought was really impressive was just that, you know, Ashton on and off the ball. Well, we can kind of get to the progression of this a little bit. Ashton was just so attached to Winston over the top of ball screens. And then Kentucky not only like hedged, I mean, they, they were like hard showing above the screen. If you go back and watch like Nick, so Nick is like getting his body up above where Tillman was, or I guess I'm trying to think like Gabe Brown was maybe the other, the other person that was screening with Winston at one point. Um, yeah, and just coming up, and you know, Nick's a mobile guy, and he's big, and he's got those big long arms, and they were, and the pressure and the physical. Ashton's really good at guarding with the upper parts of his arms in a way that's hard to officiate, and he's strong, so he's got this just subtle way that he can pressure you with his hips and the tops of his arms because he's he's so strong and and just persistent. Uh, and he moves his feet super well, north-south and east-west. And they were just icing Winston towards the, the sideline to the point where he he's not a big guy. I mean, and, and there, was no, <laughs> there was no splitting it. Uh, they just played great defense. And then so if you watched, you know, like Whitney, Quickly, Sestina, whoever it was, they're coming in and just village-style stunting into the middle of the lane so that Tillman is in a crowd – so you're putting Winston in a position where he's got to make a tough pass that he's probably going to have to float. So there's going to be air under the ball. So it's going to be time to get to it. Uh, and Kentucky just shut that off. I was really impressed with that. I, I thought that that was, you know, also th- losing those shooters helped that a lot too, because, uh, you know, if McQuaid's out there, he's a guy that you can't really leave. They had a couple open shots that they just didn't have the personnel to make the shots. Yeah, like um, we were laughing about Gabe Brown's uh, rocket yes. shot, which rocket is another relevant thing. He didn't do anything <laughs> in that game. but Rocket Watts, yeah. Yeah, so. and that was a question going in. Like, who's going to outplay the – who's who's two guard is going to outplay the other? And that, not, uh, yeah, pff, I yeah. never for a second thought that Watts yeah. was going to do anything. But, yeah, and yeah. so, you know, the guy we have yet to mention, which is pretty negligent for us to be 20 minutes into this, uh, that sort of surprisingly, but I think rightly based on off preseason performance, came off the bench, Tyrese Maxey, uh, ends up giving him 32 minutes off the bench, and by what? early by by mid first half it was clear that Tyrese Maxey was going to be the best dude on the floor 
uh, and and down the stretch, it was he as his dad texted him, LND, leave no doubt. Their sort of longtime code. Uh, <laughs> yeah. He he left no doubt. He was the best player at the Champions Classic. He's the guy all the NBA scouts are now talking about, and and he kind of announced his stardom right out of the gate. That was wildly impressive. Twenty six points, five rebounds, an assist, a steal. And you were talking about Henry being a great uh, isolation defender. He pulled up from about twenty-eight feet. Well, in uh, Henry, in Henry's face, and it was Henry good defense. played good defense. It was on good that. defense. I'm saying he he pulled up over a good defender who was playing good defense and just buried the shot of the game. It was a two-point game with a minute That's to the, go. Uh, the, the the possession was kind of a disaster, and the shot clock was winding down, and he just rose up and buried it well that's the difference between good and great teams like great great by the end of the year most teams are rotationally pretty solid you get into the tournament and what you need and this is true in the nba too is teams have scouted each other they know the stuff and the reason you know stars are the difference and the and stars are guys that can go and get their own shots and maxi in that situation michigan state had a great possession there. I thought both teams played pretty good defense in the second half. Um, Maxie just went and hit a tough shot. I mean, it, it was it was really a ridiculous shot. I want to talk a little bit more about the, sort of the draft relevant stuff and everything else on down the line because there's a ton to talk about with this event. Like I said, we're going to just let it fly here. Uh, we're going to take one more break and we're going to come back and we're going to do all of that. So Maxie, Maxie kind of showed... Kind of showed the whole bag here. I mean, he he was. We were we were talking about his efficiency in the pick and roll. What was the what was the number that you had? It's it's one game, small sample, but he ran five pick and rolls as the handler, and he scored on what did you say it was like one point six? Uh, let me see. Pick and roll, pick and roll, pick and roll. Uh, pick and roll ball handler. Yeah, he. Uh, he had five possessions and scored eight points, 1.6 points per possession. <laughs> yeah. And Kentucky, uh, Kentucky overall had 13 possessions and scored 18 points. That, that is, uh, I mean, it's, again, very small sample size. One game, 97th percentile in the country of teams that have played a game so far. So, Well, uh, too, and in, you know, and in transition, Kentucky, which is going to be a huge part of Kentucky's identity this year, um, because they're, you know, they're, they're hopefully going to get a lot of offense from, and, and man, I, I love those three guard lineups that they had out there. Yes. I mean, those, those lineups where they can get Ashton in, uh, you know, get Ashton in a ball screen and you've got Maxi and, and quickly in the corners. It's just, uh, it, it's nice. Cause I like shooting and creation a whole lot. Um, but they, they got in transition 14 times in this game uh, and, and were very, very efficient about it. Uh, but Maxi really showed the repertoire here. I mean, my, my favorite shot in basketball is the floater and the runner, like because mm-hmm. I just think it's one of the tougher shots to guard and it's one of the more underdeveloped shots, I feel like, in, in younger players. And it's something he's really focused on. It's one of those things when you saw those videos of his trainer, Tim Martin, like they really drilled the floater like to a, to a ridiculous degree of specificity on how he was getting it off. And he's got a beautiful floater, and, and that's what makes him crazy good is – he can he can bomb it in your face. He can take off and drive and pull up and hit, hit a floater over you. Or you can take it all the way, draw the contact. He got he got ten free throws. He drew six fouls and got to the free throw line. Hit nine of ten free throws. Um, 
That's he, where scorers make their money. He is the a line. He, he he is a major triple threat. I mean, somebody was it you? Someone was texting me during the game that he's like a he's like a a combo guard, James Harden. Um, uh, yeah. You know, I mean, he's uh, like a six three James Harden. <laughs> yeah, he's he's got that slight beefiness to him. I think I told you I thought he was like he kind of had a little bit of like Fox like Bledsoe kind of a physical like he can. He can take a, he can take a bump and not get off his path at all. Like I I really love the soft, the two soft off the glass floaters, which I think really displayed his touch. The one, especially the one where he's just dribbling straight downhill. He ripped through to the left and just gets downhill, burns the guy, but uh, gets gets somebody gets help on him. So he's in the air. He contorts and sort of stops his momentum and kisses it off the glass really high. Um, and you could tell it wasn't luck. I mean, he makes those no, shots, yeah. and that's he, he practiced. I mean, you know, it, it's very cliche, but like you know, you get in what you put out. The, these he practices specifically these things, and you see in those moments that that you know, it's the reason I thought he would lead them in scoring from all the all along. I thought it would take longer for him to emerge as emerge as the guy than one game, but because he's just he came in with so much more polish than so many of these guys do. And the other thing about him, you know, we've we've raved about a number of different things, but one that absolutely should not be forgotten is that in crunch time, not only was he hitting the big shots, he got the last three defensive rebounds that sealed the game for Kentucky. You know, and a couple of them were contested where he just out jumped the dude that was well, much bigger yeah. than him. You know, from from Michigan State. Um, my guy Cole made a good point. He, he high pointed, <laughs> like he jumped up and caught the ball at its apex over yeah. a big. He is he's he made a big impression, and I, I think on a night where we had discussed a little bit how this year's Champions Classic was a little bit devoid of of star power, you know, in a way. Um, Not a little bit. It was very. I mean, I mean, there was just nobody that really excited anybody from an NBA standpoint. Yeah, I mean Kansas. They've got a couple guys like Ogbaji and you know Azabuki. I doubt it, uh, but you know past that, yeah, you know, and then Hurt and Vernon Carey, Trey Jones, I think Cassius Stanley and Wendell Moore are all interesting. Duke Duke had several interesting guys. Cassius Stanley put on a show with a couple of his staring down through the rim dunks. Uh, he can get up. Yeah, man. He, I think he got some attention out of that thing. But yeah, I mean because of that relative lack of star power and relative to what that event has been in the past and what it was one year ago when, you know, half the lottery, I think half the lottery was in that event. Um, <laughs> yeah. Like literally half the lottery, um, you know, cause you had Tyler hero, PJ Wash just in the Duke game, Tyler hero and PJ Washington were lottery picks. The three guys from Duke. So five of the 14 lottery picks were in one of those games. Um, there was room for somebody to emerge as a star, and it happened to be Kentucky's freshman, Tyrese Maxey. He was uh, – there's no question to me he left as the story of that thing. Well, he, he got it in every every which way, as we say in Kentucky. I mean, he was in transition. He was he was as the ball handler. He was – you know, if he, if he can be an off-screen scorer too, and that's the thing about you, – you know, in this modern day, you love to have guys that – aren't just compartmentalized so much. And that's that's what we talk about when we talk about people say small ball. We're not talking about small ball. We're talking about skill ball. And it's 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 about infusing, injecting skill and playmaking and creation into positions where traditionally 
you know, it wasn't there before, you know, and that, that's why guys like Arvita Sabonis became so novel. It's like, oh, big guy that could pass. It's like, I don't know why we went through just years and years and decades of basketball where we were like, well, the big guy doesn't need to be skilled at all. But <laughs> so anyway, but these days it's like uh, you like to have these guys that can, can both create and score. And I like the fact I, I think that Tyrese has so many places that his game can go. Uh, you, you know, because if if he can be an off-ball player, he's got a little bit of a Donovan Mitchell kind of a thing going on in terms yeah. of his skill. But I think that he's a he's a little bit more of a pure bucket getter, dynamic scorer than Mitchell because Mitchell's kind of grown into that. Yeah. Uh, but if he can be a catch and shoot guy, get downhill, good athlete, you know, uh, can be a, can be a point of attack defender. Yeah, he helped himself a whole lot. Sorry, I ranted there. No, a bit, and I but. think you know. Two, you know, as it relates to Kentucky and not the draft, the question was, did they, you know, we thought Maxie would lead them in scoring because somebody has to lead them in scoring. But but that didn't answer the question, like, do they really have that dude this year? Like, do they have the guy when the game is on the line, just run it through him and he gets you offense? And that's the other thing we didn't really discuss. Calipari put the ball in Maxie's hands all the way down the stretch. You know, when they were on offense, Ashton Hagens brought the ball up the court and then handed it off to Tyrese Maxey and got out of the way. And, you know, and that was, I asked Kyle, I said, at what point did you decide I'm going to start putting the ball in his hands? And he said, you know, believe it or not, I was just watching the game and in the flow of the game and he makes a couple of those plays and you go, okay, sorry, Ashton, you're out of there, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> yeah. you know, like there's things he, and he said, went on this rant. Like I had to tell those guys, you know, today there's things you can do. He can't do, but there's things he can do that you can't do. And, you know, if somebody yeah. basically like if your dad or somebody else calls you and says, why aren't you, you in there? And you, you just tell your person, cause I'm not him. <laughs> hey, Hey, yeah. I, I want to say something real quick. This is, this is, uh, I think this is really cool. Now, uh, well, I'm going to name drop really quick. Now, Kyle knows Sham Sharanya. <laughs> is that how you say his last name? Yes. Uh, so the, the, the famous, the NBA beat writer guy. So we see him when we come into Madison square garden, he's, you know, dressed to the nines, AirPods in, as you would expect somebody like him, but, uh, sharp dude, Shams. Yeah. So he, we're talking to him. He has no clue <laughs> about, he literally was like, so who, uh, who should I watch? Or like, who are the players? Uh, which I thought was funny, yeah. but he probably doesn't have any time to focus on that. But, um, so we were talking, but I remember we were telling him just kind of the Cliff's notes of the team. And I was like, Ashton, you know, it's stuff you all have heard, all heard me say before, you know, good player, gambles a lot, maturity, things like that. And uh, I just want to give Ashton credit. I thought that he played a really mature game. I thought he was aggressive in the spots where he should have been. I thought that he pestered the ever-loving shit out of Cassius Winston. And it got to the point... I, I don't know if people notice this, but over the progression of the game, it got to the point where Kentucky was choking out their pick and roll so much that Michigan State actually started doing sort of a decoy secondary thing where they would put Winston off the ball and then run a set where they would get Ashton at the top and they would run a pick and roll with a different player uh, because they were trying to get... Uh, they were just trying to get uh, Winston some opening and some space to, so that he could work. And there were a couple different times where 
he got like a little bit of daylight and he started forcing shots uh, yeah. because you could tell that he was so just tired of Ashton being there. And Ashton's like, he just did a good job. You know, he got him on that first play of the game where he got back cut. But uh, I, I was overall really impressed. And the last thing that I'll say about this is uh, you were talking about the parents sort of doing the, why aren't you doing this thing? Uh, I noticed Marvin Hagens was retweeting a lot of stuff about Tyrese. And I just thought that was really cool. So. I, yeah, he likes he likes him a lot. Yeah. I mean, you know, Marvin is, it's weird because like the first You've, interaction you have with Marvin, you could you could think like, oh man, like maybe he's going to be one of those parents. But Marvin is a really pretty level-headed. Um, I would say, um, in the same vein of a PJ of Paul Washington, um, in that like he's a realist and he is happy for other people on the team, and you know like is he, he trusts also just trusts the staff and says like okay these guys know better than me like it was i'll never forget calling him to ask like about the nba decision for ashton and he's like we're gonna ask cal he knows better than me why do i think i know better than those guys about who's ready for the nba and if they tell us he's not ready then we're coming back and they had their meeting with cal and by the end of the afternoon they announced they were coming back um and that's pretty refreshing i'm sure for calipari to deal with um but yeah, no, I don't. I don't think there's much jealousy there. I think those guys all realize they can coexist, and Cal knows how to sort of balance and play them all. And uh, the other thing too, someone else I can't recall who I wish I could because I'd give credit for it, but um, tweeted out, you know, uh, the same video that everybody's tweeted out of uh, Ma- Maxi making that deep three, but with a, a reminder to to look at what happens after the play, and instead of celebrating that three. Ashton Hagens immediately goes into pressuring the ball on the inbound and, <laughs> and they can't get the ball in. They have to waste their last time out, you know, with a minute, he, he was everywhere with a and minute was, to go. And if they hadn't called timeout, Winston would have gotten called for charging through, uh, Ashton Hagens, just trying to get to the ball, uh, knocked him over. So, uh, it was a great game for their backcourt. Um, you know, quickly wasn't perfect, but he scored in double figures twice. He drew contact on threes and made all those free throws. He was, I think, seven of eight. I thought quickly line. played great. I had no problems with it. I thought, uh, you know, I, another thing that I noticed too is um, I did like, I was really paying attention to the way Ashton was talking and sort of uh, interacting because that's going to be sort of the thing that's going to dictate whether this team ascends uh, is – is, is there communication, you know, uh, past the point of attack? And, like, I noticed that Ashton was talking to Khalil a couple different times, um, just telling him to call things out and talk about, you know, different – because there was there was one time Ashton was doing such a great job staying with Winston, and Winston kind of dragged him into it, which is a thing Steph Curry is, like, masterful at, is sort of dragging a, 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 a help defender that's not paying attention – uh, and he did it one time, and and I just I noticed that Ashton just kind of pulled Whitney aside and said, uh, told him, you know, call that out. Whitney Whitney played okay. Brooks, you know, Not uh, so they were both quiet. Yeah, they've just kind of non factors. They've yeah. got to figure out. I think some of it's with the uncertainty of who's available and who's healthy, and having to uh, shift around all all preseason and play him at the four and play him at the three. They've, but they do. There's reasons, but they, but they're going to have to over the course of the year define a role better for Keon Brooks because um, mm-hmm. I think he's just a little bit lost in who he's supposed to be and what he's supposed to be. 
Um, and they're going to have to figure that out. And a lot of that will be predicated on, you know, does everybody else stay healthy and is Nick going to be the guy he was in that game all the time? I think if Nick is the guy he was the other night and makes a couple more of those jump hooks, um, that's perfect. He's, that, he's everything they need him to be. Uh, I don't think they need him to be great. They need him to be good and defend really hard. Um, yeah. If he can be that and if Sestina can kind of assimilate to or acclimate to playing against a, a higher level of competition, and I thought it took him a little time in that game before he felt comfortable, and then he did. He, he had a great block, a, a critical block at the rim, uh, and then hits that big trail three, which I, I talked to him today, and and you know, he he said that felt really good because that felt like him, you know, it felt like what he does, what he knows he can do well, and they'll mm-hmm. need they'll need to find that more. That's one thing Ashton will have to be looking for more. He's to, a little to, late on those to, to hit him, often, yeah, to hit Nate quickly in the pick and pop because you know the trail three and the pick and pop are always going to be shots that are great shots for Nate, and I would I'd put him at. You know, I would project him at well over forty percent on those in on the whole, uh, mm-hmm. and that's I mean fantastic for Kentucky. Oh uh, yeah, you know, I mean that just really really makes him a weapon. And you know, if you're going to have Nate Sestina, and 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 knowing that it comes with some limitations because it does, and we got that got exposed in some defensive situations, you you damn well better use what he does well. You know pull out his strengths and so they got to find ways to get him shots but um you know if those if those things happen if nate kind of progresses and nick will be the guy he was at the garden um then brooks can settle into a clear defined role where he's not just swiss army knife utility guy uh you know go where we have a need um because i do think i i think whitney will will definitely i think whitney knows what his role is and it's uh, you know defend like hell on the wing and be an energy guy and get some rebounds. Yeah. And I thought again, I thought he, def- I thought defensively Whitney was really good at, at several times that I noticed him. I don't know on the whole because I haven't graded him out, but I, I thought he made some really instinctive plays at times that really popped. Yeah, I, I shared one play with you where he, you know, sometimes sometimes the rules, the rules within your defensive scheme, or you know you're accountable for this or that. But sometimes, you know, there are times that fall in between and you kind of kind of got a call. Maybe your guy took a weird angle on a on a ball handler and somebody gets a, gets a step and you have to you have to just improvise and and that's those things are going to happen and there was there was a time where Whitney saw that Winston had sort of uh looked off a screen and got a step on Ashton and he he took a second and stepped in front of the drive and, and caused Winston to take a really terrible shot. And it, it was, it was a good play. It was a smart play. I, w- I was, I was pretty pleased with that. Um, another thing I was going to say about Sestina is just, this is my prediction. You c- you guys can come back and, and throw Ray this in my face on Twitter. I, it's, it's not that egregious or like, uh, <laughs> it's not that, that odd or strong a prediction. But as the year goes on, I think that the downhill pressure and transition that Kentucky is going to create is going to be so, um, so much a part of what they do and so strong that you just watch over the course of the game in that last eight minutes, 
teams are going to get so concerned with keeping Maxi and Hagens and quickly out of the lane that Nate is going to get threes in that stretch of the game. And I thought that that might happen against Michigan State. And I think the trail three that he hit was somewhere under five minutes, if yeah, I'm not mistaken. It was late, yeah. So that's just kind of a sort of a something that I've sort of tried to do more of over the past, you know, two years is just noticing that basketball really is a game of sequences just as much as it is a game of plays. And think things evolve. You can't always look at one play and say like and 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 construe this or that because there's a play before that and a play after that and those, those kinds of things are, are important to kind of understand the flow of what it makes a team work because, you know, the pressure of, of, of guards like, like Maxi and Hagens and quickly, you know, it, it's a tool that it's going to concern teams and you need to have those pressure release valves within, you know, they poke hole. I always say you need, you need to have those pressure release things and shooting does that. So Sistina's is going to get those shots. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it does. And by the okay. way, we were both totally wrong. Uh, Nate's three came with 10 minutes to go. It was the three that put him up by 13. Okay. Um, but, uh, well, you know, he had seven, somewhere in that stretch. He had seven yeah. points and six rebounds. Um, hit that three, had the, the, the dunk to kind of cap it, the exclamation point at the end. That, that's the other thing. They got up 13, they controlled the game, and then sort of the, you know, maybe a little bit of the veteran presence took over, and, and all of a sudden it's just a two-point game. And Kentucky finished that off. I think that's the other thing. You They played well enough to build a significant lead against a really good opponent, and then they also did winning things in the final, you know, two minutes of the game to, uh, to hold off a, a rally. And so a lot, a lot, a lot of positive stuff to take from it. You don't want to overreact to it, but you have to feel, well, certainly much better than you would have felt. <laughs> yeah. You would have felt that, you know, this time a year ago uh, about Kentucky. Um, we're, you're about to sign off uh, for the final time. We'll, we'll probably have you on as a guest if your new employer will allow it. <laughs> you don't sound uh, sure about that. Yeah, we'll see. But uh, we there is a football game, which we've not talked about at all this week because we've not podcasted this week. There's a football game. You want to make your last football prediction? Kentucky, Tennessee, you, you've been following Kentucky your whole life. You've seen a great many uh, stupefying, uh, gut-wrenching Ugh. Kentucky football losses. Last year was the best team Kentucky's had in 40 years. And they still lost uh, to uh, to Tennessee. What you know? What's your prediction? We we don't have to belabor this, but what's your prediction? Uh, I mean, what what else am I am I gonna am I really gonna go out of the show and say they're gonna lose? I, I mean, I'm gonna predict a win. I think uh, get a little time to get to limber up, get healthy. I, I think that they're I think that they're gonna pull it off. Um, so, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I mean, that's, that's kind of where I, I stand. Uh, I've kind of gone back and forth a lot like the basketball game, but, uh, I think it's really stuck in their craw that they, that exactly that, that they, they were the best team in, uh, you know, 10 years, uh, or 40 years, uh, at Kentucky going to win 10 games and, they got run by a bad Tennessee team. I think it was embarrassing. I think there was a lot of an element of, you know, they had a play-in game to get to the SEC championship game the week before and lost it, and there was some, some major disappointment involved. But there's not much excuse for, for losing that game a year ago. And a lot of these guys were, were there for that. And so 
I think they'll be – I certainly don't think Tennessee will catch them sleeping. Tennessee's been playing really well for four straight games and has kind of turned its own season around. People are kind of back on the bandwagon for Tennessee a little bit. Um, but playing this one at home, feeling like you kind of let one get away last year, I'll, I'll, I'll predict Kentucky to win. I'll say, I'll say a 27-21 Kentucky and Lynn Bowden – gets himself a passing touchdown in this game because I think it'll be drier and he'll they're going to try to throw the ball a little bit and uh, I think he gets one. Well, I hope that happens. Um yeah, I mean let's hope and it'll be nice to uh not going to lie, it'll be nice to kind of just be be a fan a little bit to uh, <laughs> yeah. Again, no, nah, not that nah, whatever. I'll uh, so yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll I'll miss I'll miss doing this. I'll miss uh, you know coming on here and doing uh, Bill Bryant and uh, and uh, <laughs> yeah, Larry Bot here and there. I forgot. I don't know how I was thinking today. I don't know how I never mentioned that I also do a Mike Pratt. Um, the cats are gonna have to have, play a great game today. Okay, uh, <laughs> that's yeah. a, that was not one of your best ones, but at the oh come on, that, that was that was good. But at the end, the the uh, okay at the end kind of brought, tied it together for me. But it's not it's not as good as your uh, your Bill Bryant and uh, f you pal. This, <laughs> he's, you snore. I do snore. I do snore. You learn that. By the way, By the way uh, just uh, one of our random interjections. NFL Network. Analyst and Hall of Famer Deion Sanders has emerged as a candidate for the Florida State head coaching job, according to Ian Rappaport. That it seems like a please, that, please do that. That seems like a really, really bad idea. Please, uh, please do that. I would think Florida State fans would be smart enough to know. I think they know. I mean, like you can idea. pull that off, maybe, and that even remains to be seen with like Penny Hardaway in basketball. But with all the pieces there are to manage in football and how much more complicated of a game it is, I, I just, boy, I don't. With no head coaching experience yeah, coming into it. With, yeah, with no any coaching experience. I think he's coached like some high school or little league, but he, anyway, we're way off topic. We're way over time. We're almost, I really don't <laughs> we're, care. We're, I honestly don't care that we're uh, over time. I, I don't, don't either. Care. I don't know what because uh, we don't want we don't want to say goodbye. It's, it's I was going to say we're gonna uh, break down here. I uh, I wanted to tell people I saw some celebrities when I was in New York. Oh, sure, um, sure. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> when I was uh, I went to the Barclay Center. I saw the celebrity Kevin O'Connor. Just, I mean, seriously, what a massive celeb. Uh, and then, but I also saw Kevin Durant in the tunnel, and I wanted to let people know that he was moving. Number one, he is gigantic. And number two, uh, he was moving with some pep in his step. But the the cool one was uh, Kevin and I were having dinner at this little Korean place, which was like a real average Korean place. It wasn't super upscale or anything, but really near close. Um, these two people walk in. And Kevin goes, I think she's an actor. And I was like, I looked, and it was Nancy and Jonathan from Stranger Things, the, the yeah. two, like two of the the lead stars from the show. Yeah, that's pretty. In. That's pretty fantastic. I, I love. Yeah. I love that. That like of all the random celebrities, that's a good. That's a good pairing. It would have been yeah. much better if it was all four of the kids. <laughs> yeah, they just <laughs> they, all show up, ride, ride their bikes, you know, and like they're like like excitedly talking about some adventure next to you at the bar. But uh, for no. sure. We had a good time. Sure we had a good drinking. time in New York, and uh, you and I will see each other more, and 
maybe we'll bring you on so people that are going to miss you very much on this podcast will uh, get their uh, Kyle J. Kyle man fix. But you guys keep up with Kyle uh, at The Ringer. Uh, subscribe to his and their YouTube channels. And uh, like I said, next week, next, next episode on Monday, we'll have a, a totally different co-host. I'll still be here. I'm the last man standing. I've chased reefer off, madness. I've, reefer madness. I've chased. The greatest thing about that is uh, Dan did these radio ads. His last name is Reefer, and he did these radio ads for the uh, the um, what is it called? I forgot. Purple Haze or one of the one of those uh, smoke shops uh, in Lexington who they've moved in their their address is four twenty. Uh, and they have all these sort of like overtly like, hey, this is about marijuana, but it's not in their uh, in their ads. Uh, and Dan would always do their their uh, euphemistic reads and on the re- <laughs> on the on the unofficially titled Reefer Report, and it just always made me laugh. But uh, don't, don't pre- fear the Reefer. I'm pretty. I got, I got a bunch of them. I'm pretty excited uh, to have Dan join me, and uh, hopefully, it's not something I've done that two different people have left me now, but. Uh, We'll keep plugging along. So thanks for listening, well, people, guys. People just keep getting jobs, man. Yeah. No, I, I, I it's been a lot of fun, and I've enjoyed uh, getting to know uh, those of you that have hit me up. And, and uh, yeah, and obviously, you know, Kyle and I have grown. We've grown our friendship a little bit through this, I think. No, and then sure. Made us finally uh, meet each other in person. <laughs> yeah, hilarious. So uh, also, I, I found out that I might be getting to do some more college basketball stuff through Ringer. So oh, you know, maybe maybe I'll I'll get to write about the cats here and there, possibly. So we'll see. But you know what, guys? Uh, I'll be around. Hit me up, and maybe I'll maybe I'll be on an episode here or there in the future. Uh, so you know, subscribe to the Ringer, uh, the Ringer's YouTube channel. Do that for me, and uh, subscribe to the Athletic as, as always. Follow me at J Kyle Man and follow Kyle at Kyle Tucker underscore A T H. And uh, you can leave a review. I don't really give a rat's ass. Uh, you can. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care if you uh, ever listen to this thing again. <laughs> I don't. I don't care. Yeah, whatever. Piss off. No, I'm kidding. Uh, support Kyle, support Dan, and they're going to do a great job. I'm absolutely certain about that. So uh, I'll talk to you later, I guess. <laughs> See ya. <laughs>